It's good to see you all this morning. You know, uh, I'm going to get this before we get started, because if you're like me, that sitting there drives you nuts and uh, is a distraction. So that's taken care of for my sake and yours. You know, if uh, with graduations taking place last weekend, this weekend, and uh, Memorial Day approaching, if you're like me, thoughts of summer start to drift into your mind. Do you feel it? Has it begun to happen to you like it does uh, me? I always have images of of summer, and one particular image that comes to mind uh, on a routine basis is this picture that I want to show you. And it's just a, a, beautiful, a beautiful view. I took that picture you know, years ago, a, number of year, a decade ago, actually. And we're at Jackson Lake, and this is uh, the Teton Mountain Range with a beautiful sailboat just right along the shore there as we were watching from that view. It was a Sunday morning. Our family was together, all four of uh, our family. Lori's parents had joined us on that particular trip. Her sister was with us, and we'd all taken our camp chairs right down to the edge of the lake, and we were going to have church together. That's what we were going to do here. Josh uh, brought his guitar down with us, and uh, he led us in worship with his guitar. Uh, Lori's dad, Norman, who's a retired preacher, uh, he preached for us that morning, and uh, never was he so happy to preach. I mean, it was just like we, we, we asked him to preach to us, so he, he enjoyed that. Uh, that was a pretty neat morning. And then shortly after our worship time, what you see here is this, this sailboat silently slipped into view from behind some large evergreen trees that were just right to the right of that camera shot. And um, just, it was just the most quiet, silent moment. And it was just like we all, the service had just kind of finished and we were all just silent as this thing just drifted into view as it was doing right there. And you can see the water was just still, and it was, it was just an idyllic moment. It was, um, we were just kind of in awe as we were there. And I thought, this is too good a picture for me to take. Uh, this is amazing. Ever since that moment, that picture comes to mind fairly often, and I thought, you know, we all have this tendency to wish that life was always like that, don't we? I mean, if you're like me, that's what you want. You want it to be like that all the time. But we know it's not. Life is full of challenges. It's full of disappointments. It's full of hardship and suffering. Some that you see coming, some that hit you out of the blue. You know, someone steals from you and then declares bankruptcy so you never get your money back. That's always a surprise. But it happens to people. Maybe it happened to some of you before. You know, a loved one comes down with a debilitating disease. There's no cure, only treatments that promise to be expensive and progressively ineffective. And you think to yourself, this is, this is not an idyllic moment like what I was just experiencing, what I could experience, wish was, life was like. You know, there's marital infidelity, there's prodigal children, there's mean, mean-spirited co-workers who take pleasure in tormenting you. I could go on and on with these kinds of things because life is hard, often it's unfair. Unfortunately, Bad things happen to good people, and good seems to be suffering, and evil seems to be rewarded, and it gets all confusing. And All of us experience some measure of this mess that is the reality of life for all of us. And when you're going through these kinds of things, God never seems further away than in those moments when you're suffering those hardships. It's just like a... 
It's almost predictable. It's like in those moments, he, he sometimes is silent. And you wonder, where are you, God? I'm praying. I'm, I'm trying to still stand. Where are you in these moments? And so when, when we're in, find ourselves in those kinds of situations, how should you and I respond to the hardships, the sufferings that come into our lives? How, how, how should we think about these things? How can we live a hope-filled life when right now we have a hardship-filled life? How do we do that? You know, the Bible does help us learn how to do that. It doesn't come reflexive to us. If it did, the world would be hope-filled. But the world is full of cynicism and discouragement and bitterness and vengefulness and these kinds of things because we're not hope-filled. I mean, the suicide rate is doing this not because we're hope-filled, right? I mean, we, we need to understand this, and the Bible does help us. And so that's kind of what this series is about. Last week, we talked about defeating fear, because where there's fear, hope, uh, hope just doesn't have a chance. We've got to learn to defeat fear in our own lives. Nobody can do that for you. Nobody can do it for me. We've got to learn how to do this. God helps us. If you missed last week's message, check it out online. But we've got to defeat fear. But today what I'm going to talk about is I'm going to invite you to listen close as we learn from the Bible how to understand hardship. Because how we think of it has a lot to do with whether it controls us or we control it. You track with me? When you find yourself in hardship... What we all long for in those moments is control. And some of us go to great lengths to try to seize control. And the truth of the matter is it just screws things up. Most of the time it does. It messes you up. It messes other people in your life up. So what do you do? I mean, what, what, what only thing you and I can take control of is what's between these two earlobes. What goes on right here, inside of here. And if you and I do the hard work here, it can help us, help us to find hope, even in the midst of hardship. And so I invite you this morning, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12 in your Bible. God does give us a lot of insight into this. There are a number of passages we could look at, uh, but this is just a real key foundational one. And I just want you to be reflexively familiar with it. I, I want it to become so much a part of your life. Maybe some of you need to memorize these verses. It just needs to become such a reflexive part of your life that when you think of hardship, when you think of suffering, when you think of difficulty, you don't think of pain. What you think of is this passage, this passage, because it gives you a framework through which a, a, a set of lenses through which to view the hardship that's come your way in life. If you want to understand suffering, if you want to understand what God's up to, you need to understand this passage. God's perspective is revealed pretty clearly in these verses. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, starting with verse 5, and uh, encourage you, if you've got a Bible with you, make sure and look at it. If you don't have a Bible at home, take the one with you. You can have it with you. I have it for yours. But here, here's what the scripture says. Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? Now, let's just pause. Now, just think about the framework. That, I mean, God's setting a a frame. He's framing a picture. The, the following words are supposed to be encouraging. Now, as we read them, I want you to think to yourself, is this encouraging me? Because if you're like me, the tendency is to read these next few verses and you go, uh, this is not how I define encouragement. 
I, I define encouragement as sitting on the shoreline with a sailboat flying through a picture, you know, kind of sailing through a picture, the beautiful view. I honor, this is what's encouraging to me. But God's perspective is a little different than ours. And, uh, and he's God. He's wiser than we are. We need to learn from him. And, and this passage helps us. So the scriptures say, have you forgotten the encouragement, the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? And it goes on and quotes scripture. He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Which you just read that much and you go, okay, well, that's not what I think of as encouragement. He's speaking to me. Think about this. He's speaking to us, appealing to our adult capacity here is what he's doing. He's saying, let's not think like children about this. Let's think about this like adults. That's what he's appealed to. So he goes on, though he's speaking to us as children. Do you track with me what he's doing? So verse 7, he continues, as you endure this divine discipline... Remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who's never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. And since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So the scripture says, take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Work at living in peace with everyone. At work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God and watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many." This is such a rich passage of scripture. There's so many different ways we could redefine encouragement with it. We spend a whole lot of time talking about that. And obviously we could talk about, we could go off on parenting and just family things if we wanted to spend time on this passage because there's a lot of insight about discipline and the, the role that parents play in disciplining their children and actually the failure that we do our kids if we don't discipline them because we don't teach them. I mean, we're not shaping and molding their lives appropriately. So, so we could talk about that from this passage if we wanted to. Uh, we could talk about recovery from this passage. I mean, so many things here. But what we're going to do for the next few minutes is we need to view suffering and hardship from God's perspective. And that's he lays that out for us here this morning. And for the next few minutes, I want to give you four insights into how we need to view suffering and hardship. Because let me just say this. If you're young right now and you've not experienced much, you will experience more. That's not intended to discourage you. That's just an acknowledgement that life is not always fair. It's not always happy. It doesn't always go your way. You just got to pay attention to these things. And in a perfect world, you and I pay attention to it before we find ourselves in the fire, right? So if you're younger, keep this in mind. 
If you've been around here for a while and you've lived some life, you've experienced some hardship, you maybe need hope that, you can move, that, you, that there's something good that can come out of this. This passage has that for you. But what we want to do is I want to highlight four insights about suffering here and, and how to view it from God's perspective that will help us to, to benefit from it rather than just be debilitated because of it, okay? The first insight is this. We need to view suffering, as God does, it's divine discipline. Say it with me. It's divine discipline. That was pretty weak. Say it one more time. It's divine discipline. Most of us don't like the word discipline. I mean, we just don't like it. We don't like if it's athletically involved, if it's parentally related. We don't like it in any, we don't like it if it's, you know, detention at school. We, we don't like discipline on any level for the most part. And yet what God is trying to help us understand is that hardship and suffering is divine discipline. Look at verse 6 and 7 because it just spells it out this way. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as a child. Does it look like anybody's left out there? Each one experiences this. Verse 7 goes on and says, As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as His own children. It just as His evidence that He's adopted you into His family, He's treating you as His own child, and whoever heard of a child who's never disciplined by its father, that's, that's like a ridiculous thought to God Himself, that you would ever have a child and not discipline it. It's just, it's wacky. Crazy, crazy talk is what, what that is to him. And so he's just saying this is, it's divine discipline. And if we were to take the time to work through verses 5 to 15, uh, what you'd find is that discipline, the term is mentioned 10 times in 11 verses because this is all about that. God wants us to understand that, that hardship and suffering and difficulty, it's divine discipline. And all of the components of of discipline are alluded to in the text. If we had time, we could break down these verses. You find instruction and teaching. It's referenced in these verses. That's a part of discipline. You find training and the role that that plays, just like athletes train in order to be, be equipped to play their sport at a high level. I mean, you've got to train. You know, the difference between professionals and, you know, you know the, the difference between your highest, highest uh, quality a player, an athlete, is, is you've got two athletes and they have, they have natural skills and abilities to do their sport at a high level. You know what the difference is between the one who's, you know, it's an old illustration, but Michael Jordan and somebody else? They both have natural ability. What's the difference? Training. Most of the time it's training. Not aptitude. It's not a whole lot of things. A lot of times it's training. One trains more than the other. It's a component of discipline. A component of discipline shows up here. It's the idea of correction and redirection. The idea of punishment and consequences, which is the part of discipline that's most out of favor in our present culture. And yet it is a key part of what discipline is. And without it, you have a, you know, a four-legged stool that only has three of the legs on it. If you sit right, it'll work, but you shift your weight much and you're going to go down. And so it's, it's, it's weak at best. What's my point in highlighting this? I just want you to understand that, I mean, this is, when, we, when I go through hardship and difficulty, it is divine discipline and it's purposeful. 
It's not capricious on God's part. It's purposeful. And all of us are going to experience that kind of divine discipline. Verse 8 makes that really clear. If God doesn't discipline you as he does, what's the text say? All of his children. Guess what? It means that you're illegitimate. You're not really his kids at all. I want to insert a different way of thinking in your mind. What if, what if when some of us think to ourselves, when somebody becomes a believer, when some of us become leaders in churches, you know, kind of spiritual leaders, we, we think to ourselves, or, you know, we become a Christian, we think, oh, my life should get easier and better. And then we're distracted by the fact, discouraged by the fact that it gets more difficult. And it's like I'm being challenged and hardships coming into my life that had not come into my life before. And we think to ourselves, the devil is after me. What if it's not the devil? What if some of the difficulty, what if some of the challenge is our Heavenly Father allowing some challenge, some, some difficulty, some, some, some hardship, some suffering to come into our lives because He now views us as His own son, His own daughter. And the real challenge, the real deal is not with the evil one. The real deal is like, how do I understand God in the midst of this? Are you with me? You see what I'm saying? I mean, we're all tempted to think of this differently. Now, if we had time, we could walk our way through Job. We could walk our way through Jeremiah. We could walk our way through the, the, all the prophets and all the people of God, all of whom experienced more hardship, suffering, difficulty than, than we think to ourselves they deserved. But here's the deal. It's, it comes all of our way and at its most foundational level, it's God recognizing us as children and giving us the opportunity, the opportunity to grow, to mature. It's divine discipline. I want you to note uh, something. I, think of that word discipline. Now, I want you to look at this word with me real carefully. This is important just to do this with me. When you look at the word discipline, um, there's another word that's embedded in that word that's key. What is, what is the word that you see there that's disciple? Look at this. Look at this. It's disciple. That's what you pull out the, the I and the N of discipline and you have disciple. Do you suppose that's a coincidence in, in linguistic purposes? No, because they're integrally related. Every Authentic disciple is going to experience some discipline because God now views you as his son or daughter, which takes us to another perspective on suffering that we have to think. And it's, the second insight is that we need to view this as spiritual parenting. This is what's going on in our lives. It's not just divine discipline because that sort of feels painful, and it is, but it you know, it's just sort of clinical, it's surgical, we don't like that so much. So think of it as, as spiritual parenting, which is kind of the context that God gives the passage here. Uh, if you read the, the text, these verses, verses 5 to 15, you're going to find, you know, the, the, the language of child and children and father and, and all these kinds of things, and even discipline. I mean, these are all 
familial terms, their family language. And it show up, just child, children, and father show up 11 times in these 11 verses. It's, it's parenting, it's family language is what it is. And we're God's children and he disciplines as every parent does, a child, you know, a son or daughter that he loves. And we all know how much children love discipline, right? I mean, we all love that. Daddy, again, give me another spanking. Give me another timeout. Give me another, you know, uh, wash your mouth out with soap kind of thing. This is, we just don't like this kind of thing, right? Uh, I've told this story before, but it's just, it just so vivid in my mind. It's such a wonderful story. It's a true story. A three-year-old relative of ours was busy being potty trained at uh, that age of his life, and they were having some issues with it. He'd been instructed. Uh, he'd been given incentives. There were charts with stickers and stars and all kinds of things and lots of positive coaching and reinforcement and reward. And, and uh, one day uh, after he'd had yet another accident, uh, he just told his mother, Mom, I don't want a sticker and I don't want a star. I just want to pee in my pants. <laughs> and he did. He did. But on that day, he also learned about a particularly undesirable, another undesirable part of discipline and suffering, and that is that it's painful. It's painful uh, because when that discipline comes into your life, it's, it's not a happy moment. But here's how we have to think of it. It's painful. The third insight, really, as you look at this, is it's painful, but it's purposeful and it's temporary. It's painful, but it's purposeful and it's temporary. This uh, three-year-old that was a part of our family, if you were to ask him at that age what the purpose of the punishment that came into his life was as a byproduct of his viewpoint of being potty trained. You could ask him and he would have made, it would have made no sense to him. He would have given you a bunch of babble of mumbo jumbo why that you as an adult would go, yeah, it sounds like it would come from a three-year-old, right? My point in even bringing this up is to say that you know, God is so much beyond us that at our wisest moments, you and I do not realize the significance of the hardship that comes into our lives. We don't. We don't fully understand how it's going to mold us and shape us. We don't, we don't help us. We don't, we don't have any way of fully grasping, and we can try to articulate our viewpoint of it, but to the extent that my viewpoint is disconnected from God's viewpoint of this stuff, I, you know, I'm, it's just mindless three-year-old babble is really what it is. As mindful as a three-year-old can be is what it is. And so it's important that we understand that, that yes, spiritual discipline is, is painful, but it is purposeful and it's temporary. Verse 11 says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. You know, caring for a sick child or an aging parent, not enjoyable, not a happy time, not vacation. Cancer treatments. Check, not enjoyable, right? Financial problems, check, not fun. Aging, not fun. Getting laid off, not enjoyable. I could go on with this kind of, there's just like life is full of this stuff. Just, just not happy times. 
But when you look at verse 11 and the second part of it, there's a key phrase here. It says, starts out, no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But look at the next two words. But, what's the next one? Afterward. But afterward. Afterward. What's the point? The point is that it's temporary pain that's purposeful. It's purposeful. I want you to look at the suffering and divine discipline that was experienced by those who received this letter of Hebrews, the book that we're the biblical book that we're reading this passage out of. and uh, we, We've been reading in chapter 12, but I want, want you to look at chapter 10, verses 32 and following. Just, just follow along in this uh, description of the divine discipline that they were experiencing. The scriptures say, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Now, just to put yourself in their shoes, they're they're believers. They've learned about Christ. They didn't know about him before. And so now they're hearing about him. And the passage goes on and says, remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. And then it goes on to describe the suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule. Not private ridicule. Notice it's public ridicule. And were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. And you suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. Implication unjustly, you know, you, you track it with me. It's just like this is not they're not thrown in jail because, you know, they did something illegal. They, they did something. They followed Jesus. They believed in him and they landed in jail because of that. You suffered along with those who were thrown in jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, as in stolen, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last. How long? forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. You know, in this passage and in Hebrews 12 and in other passages we could look at in Corinthians and other passages, you would find suffering and discipline are painful, but they're purposeful and here's what we have to keep in mind. They're temporary. And afterwards, after you've experienced it, suffering and discipline will be rewarded. If you're a believer and you're walking with God and you're suffering in some way, The amazing miracle of God is that he has, it's its own promise that you are being and will be rewarded. It's going to, it's temporary pain that will produce for you and me an eternal reward. Hebrews 12, 10 makes that really clear. It says, For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us. How many times is it good? How often is it good for us? Always. always. It's always good for us so that we might share in His holiness. Now, some of us think to ourselves, this, is, this illustrates our worldliness, you know, me included, you know, where you just think, if this is the price of holiness, I don't know if I want it. You know, this is kind of, kind of what you think sometimes. But 
But holiness produces, according to the verse before it, you know, peace, a harvest of peace. It produces all these blessings. And, and look at verse, chapter 12, verse 14. The second part of it says, For those who are not holy will not, what? You won't see the Lord if you're not holy. This is unbelievably politically correct ver incorrect verse. The verse is saying to us that if, if we're not holy, if we're not, if we're not progressing in that, in that direction, you're not even going to see the Lord. Because you don't really know Him. You don't get Him. You, you've recreated Him in your own image. And, and it's, you, it's kind of like you've cried out to someone to be Savior who's not even for you. Do you, you track with me? This is a big, big deal. Those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Well, then, then, Lord, help me to be holy. And help me to endure patiently, as Hebrews 10 says. Give me patient endurance, Lord, as I endure the hardship, as I endure the suffering, the difficulties that come my way in life, because I want to see you. I want to be with you. And whatever it costs me right now is a, is a small price to pay compared to eternity. So here's how we need to view hardship and suffering if we're going to live hope-filled lives. I just want to summarize it some for us from these verses. Hardship is divine discipline. It's spiritual parenting. It's temporarily painful, but it will prepare us like nothing else to see the Lord and receive an eternal reward that no one can take from you. Are you willing to walk that path? Are you willing to view it from the vantage point of heaven instead of exclusively from the vantage point of earth? On some level, this is the great test of faith. You could argue that it's easy, faith is easy if all we're talking about is, did God create all of the heavens and the earth, or did this all just happen? It ought to be like mind-numbingly easy to look around and go, I don't think all the stars just formed in the skies and the, the flowers that are in my, you know, and, and the food that grows in my garden and all, you know, that my blood clots at the right spot and not in the wrong place and all, yeah, this this should be mind-numbingly simple and easy faith of that sort from God's vantage point. The real test of faith is the walk of holiness because it always involves some divine discipline. It always involves testing, challenging my assumptions, my core nature, your core nature. Will you choose to walk that path of faith with God? Or will you do like many in our culture have chosen to, done, uh, to do as of late, which is just check out? I don't want to do that. And so now you ask them, what's your religious connection? None. They're a nun, not N-U-N-N-O-N-E. I have none. Just not connected. Spiritually drifting out here, imagining that if you sit on the shores of Jackson Lake watching the sailboats go by, that somehow you're going to feel better. 
here's the thing. Part of what makes that a beautiful moment is that God is doing something in here. It's a picture of hope for something in the future, not just for a moment at this, right at this moment. So if there's some areas of suffering in your life, my encouragement to you is the same as the passage says, don't forget the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children. Don't make light of his discipline. Don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes each one he accepts as a child. Endure it as divine discipline, as spiritual parenting. Recognize that he cares about you. And this is going to lead to a place that one day once you get there, you will say, it was all worth it. My light and momentary troubles have produced for me something of far greater worth and glory and value than I could have ever imagined. And you'll see the Lord himself as he is. And because of that, writer of Hebrews says in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 12, take a new grip with your tired hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. And do that for yourself and for the people who are part of your life struggling this way. Just don't give in to the exhaustion, to the confusion. Just get a fresh grip. Verse 14 says, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. It's just saying, have clear expectations. This is not going to be a cakewalk. It is going to be work. If there was no effort, there was no need for patient endurance. Everybody would have this down, right? Just... Just have clear expectations. It's going to require work to live at peace and to work through all of this and endure this. And verse 15 of chapter 12 tells us, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. It's just to say that this is a team sport. This is not a solo one person on your own kind of time. This is not Lone Ranger faith here. This is about doing this together, looking after each other, and the final caution is watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. Because if it troubles you, what's it going to do? According to the verse, corrupt many. It'll not only mess you up, it'll mess up your kids, your grandkids, co-workers, people who are part of your life. It's just saying shepherd one another through suffering through the bitterness that tends to tempt us and test us throughout its entirety. We've got to lean on each other. We've got to do that because when our sufferings are finally past and we one day enter into God's presence, life will be a whole lot more like this. There'll be peace and there'll be beauty. There will be God's presence, His holy presence, I mean, when we're in the presence of God, it is by definition at that point smooth sailing. As Laura and I have gotten older and had hardship and difficulty come into our lives, it's kind of like I, I've told her you know, before, I've said it, and we've both talked about this. It's like, that's why when people die, they call it rest. 
That's why, because, because there's the strivings, the stretching of life is done. And, and now there's this, because you go to the presence of God who has prepared a place for us, Scripture tells us. Hope you'll remember the picture. I hope you'll remember it when you think of Hebrews 12. I hope next time, when, if you have the, the blessing of being somewhere beautiful this summer, maybe you're at a lake or someplace, you see a sailboat kind of drifting across the water like that. I hope this passage comes back to your mind. I hope that you'll reflect on it. Because this is our destiny. This is our destiny. But the valley of the shadow of death is between there and where I am. i got to walk through it. That's sort of an echo of last week. So go back and look at that passage, okay? Listen to that message if you have it. Let's pray together. Actually, let's stand together. Uh, we're going to close in prayer. Uh, maybe, maybe somebody here this morning, you've not been walking with God at all. Maybe you just don't even know Him. Uh, maybe you know about Him, but you don't really know Him. Two different things. Uh, he invites you to invite Him into, his heart, his into your heart and your life makes all the difference in the experience of suffering and hardship and um, just invite him in he will coach you and guide you through this uh, he will do that with you uh, maybe some of us need prayer this morning maybe you got something going on some test and you know there's a lot of us around here who've been through difficult times who'd be happy to pray for you pray in faith that God will work pray that God will heal you pray that God will help you Pray that God will deliver you of whatever problem is going on in your life, but also pray for you to have patient endurance in the moment. Maybe you need that. Come on down if that's the case. We're all wrapped up here. Um, last thing I'd just say, and then we'll pray, is just to encourage you to, uh, to stop by the, out through those doors uh, right afterwards, uh, shortly thereafter in classroom one. Deb Anderson has been, uh, she was a founder and director of uh, our Wildwood Preschool, has been doing that, shepherding kids and parents for uh, a decade now, and uh, love and you can raise your hand over there. There's Debbie right over there. So uh, we're going to honor her and just celebrate her and just hope that you'll take a few moments before you head out. Step in there, give her a hug, and uh, express to her your, your appreciation. I mean, our preschool has been nothing but a blessing for this church in this community. I mean, there are families who, you know, weren't a part of this church who connect with the preschool and learn of us and come our direction over time because of that. And a lot, a lot, of, a lot of blessings there. So just encourage you, uh, affirm her this morning too. So thank you, Debbie, for all you have done and who you are. So let's bow our heads and pray, then we'll be dismissed. And, um, thanks for coming this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your experience, Lord Jesus. Uh, you patiently endured much hardship in your life from your earliest years all the way to your final days. And even now, you patiently endure lots of hardship as we, your children, sometimes wander off and have our prodigal moments. And, and yet you love us so much that you died the horrific death you did to purchase our redemption, our eternal rescue. We ask your forgiveness for the times when we've wandered. And we ask that you'd help us to walk with patient endurance, to pick up our cross, to carry it, daily as you did yours and Lord as it revealed your holiness and your goodness and your virtues 
May it produce that kind of fruit in us. Not because we like it any more than you liked what you endured, but because it's worth it. It's worth it. In the long haul, we endure the cross because of the joy that is ahead. You did that. Help us to do that. Lord, I just pray for our folks here, people within the sound of my voice. You know, every one of us has got difficulty and hardship. The stories and the circumstances vary, but the pain is the same. Our request is that you'd help us to keep perspective, your perspective on it. We wouldn't spend and waste our time being angry at you, but we'd, we'd recognize that you're good and that you, you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death with us. Therefore, we need not fear evil. We need not fear the hardship. We need to fear you, not in a frightful sense, but in a respectful sense, understanding that you're just inviting us to share in your sufferings, that we might share in your glory one day. Help us to remember that, Lord. And because of your sacrifice, may it be so. May it be so. For any of us here, Lord, who need a Savior, would you hear their cries as they look heavenward and just say, Lord, I need you to fill me, strengthen me, make me yours. Adopt me into your family. Bring the pain in my life some purpose by you showing up and being present in me. Hear their prayer, Lord. Would you guide us this week to walk in your ways and to spread light and encouragement and life wherever we go. May we be like little energizer bunnies that get knocked down and just keep, keep going. May we be that for your kingdom's sake. And we'll give you credit now and in eternity for every good thing that results because of that. This is our prayer. We lift it together in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed with me and said, Amen. Amen. Bless you all.